Off top, the National Football League was originally named the American Professional Football Association in 1920. They changed the name in 1922 to the NFL. You think it'd be this successful if it was called the AFPA? AF. Oh, no, APFA. I don't know. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Welcome to the Dominique Foxworth Show, where we tell you useless facts because we're children. At least one of us is. The one with children likes little facts that kids like. What up, Charlie? What are we talking about today? Football? We got football. We got basketball. We got a guest coming later, Logan Murdoch, who I'm excited to have. I ask you questions, then I answer them myself. That's what you do when your name's on the show. You just talk to yourself the whole time. But before we get to that, we do have football. Charlie, the lumber snack, please take the wheel. I love the football we have, too. We're coming up. We're, we're taping this on Tuesday, coming off of the Monday Night Football doubleheader. And we got to start with the Dolphins. The Dolphins were the first team in the NFL ever to blow a 14-point lead with less than 255 in the game and lose before overtime. And this was a golden opportunity that the Dolphins lost. Tyreek Hill left early in the game, came back with what looked like a possible high ankle sprain, and he was somehow running on it. But the Dolphins really blew a chance to take control of their destiny, have a number one seed, and they lost to the Titans. How significant was that loss for the Dolphins? Uh, incredibly significant. So first, Tyreek Hill um, got hurt and then sprinted <laughs> like three seconds later after he got up. So I think he's going to be fine. The concern for me for Tyreek Hill is every game it seems like there's a little something, and we were reminded last night how important he is to their offense. So uh, having him at a lower value is certainly going to impact them since he is their most valuable player, if not the league's most valuable player. But this loss last night was huge for them. I think we are at a point where we have seven teams in a playoff and only one team has a first-round bye. And the Dolphins were well-positioned to get that bye if they did not drop any games to teams that they could lose. Because they have a tough stretch coming up. I don't know if you know off the top of your head. I know the Ravens is one of the games. They have the Bills also. I think they have the Jets. They have a tough tough stretch coming up that they're definitely going to lose one, if not two, of those games. Give it to me. Uh, Jets, Cowboys, Ravens, Bills. Yeah, so they're going to lose at least once, probably twice in that point. They had if they if they went out though, they will maintain the first round by in home field advantage. So I think the loss was huge because they are not going to maintain home maintain home field advantage, and that's going to be a big impact because Miami is one of the few teams that is going to be in a warm red warm weather city for their preparation, and then go somewhere else. We saw them make a pretty good showing in the snow last year in Buffalo, but I still think it matters the way that they the way that they've designed their offense and the communication that they want in their offense. It's going to impact them going elsewhere, despite the fact that they run the ball pretty well, especially for a team that. Kind of strikes you as a finesse team, but it was a tough game for them. Uh, Tua didn't look great without the support. Of, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. That's, the, that's the talking point of it. I mean, I think it's fair to talk about Tua, but I also think it's fair. I, I was struck last night by, uh, or Monday night, by how much time Will Levis had. And uh, it it's easy to point to the, the injury that they had with Jalen uh, Jalen Phillips, Phillips yep. yeah, as the issue, but I think it's also their style of defense is not a blitz happy or aggressive style of defense. And we've made this point a number of times. It doesn't matter who your quarterback is if you give him time. Yeah. Every quarterback in football is really good with no pressure and a bunch of time. And you can buy more time with athleticism. I think that's going to be a huge concern for this team going forward. Mm, so not Tim Boyle. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are some quarterbacks who it doesn't matter how much time you give them. But very few of them are starting in the NFL right now. Can, so, I, can I eat the trash for a second? Yeah. Tua didn't just look okay. Tua looked terrible. And he was missing four offensive linemen, missing Tyreek Hill for like half the game. But this guy was like third in the MVP uh, odds coming into that game. And it became really clear who the most valuable player on that offense was. And It's been really clear who the most valuable player yes, on that offense yes. was and is. Yeah, but then you look at last year and they take out Tua, you put in Skylar Thompson, the offense falls apart. But can I, can I say something? All right. Tua is who the NFL nerds think Brock Purdy is. He's the one being propped up by the situation. Yeah. It's, so they're a great juxtaposition between each other because I think they both are being impacted by draft position. And I think Tua, we want Tua to be more than he is. And we, if Tua was drafted the last pick in the draft, he would not still be getting a chance. 
and that is based off of his original run, they yeah. would have moved on from him. Because you just don't, you're not that invested in him, and you've never seen him be that great, so you expect him to not be good, and you move on. But he was the first pick, so he got chances, and he got hurt, he got injured, and good he's thing, looked but, good in yeah. his offense. So I don't mean to suggest that he should have been the last pick in the draft. He's fine. He has incredible talent and or unique uh, skills. Well, I guess it's not unique. It's not the fair point. I'm trying to find a nice way to say this or the proper way to say it because it, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying it too. It's not good. Nice. No, yeah. We called him a superstar system QB. Yeah. When we I think were talking that's about that. and, exactly right. Within the right system and everything working out, he's a superstar. We saw that when you ask him to do a little bit extra or the things are the your best players aren't there, things break down, they double your best receiver, then you ask him to like buy time and make something happen. It's not pretty. But the point about Purdy, involving Purdy in this, is if Purdy was a first-round pick, a number one overall pick, we'd be talking about him with a lot more respect than I think we do now. Uh, we're all coming around a little bit quite slowly. I remember when I officially came around, they went on a three-game losing streak, if you remember correctly. This is, this is the classic comedy <laughs> contrarian thing. It's like Purdy's starting to play badly. Got it sitting down no, no. If you don't, if you remember, it was before that bad game. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I've been holding off and I've been using his draft position against him, and I've been trying every angle to say that he ain't that good, uh, and he's lucky to be where he is. But then he kept doing it, and he was doing it in special ways. And I still think there is fair to be. There's one thing we haven't seen him do is the big comeback. Yeah, that's what we want from him. I think he's capable of it. But he hasn't been asked to do it, which is like if you remember back in Lamar's MVP time, that was the big knock on mm -hmm. Lamar was like, what do you do when they're down? Like they're never down. Yeah. So it's like if they're going to beat the out of everybody they play, then uh, the quarterback has to get some credit for it. He doesn't have a lot of comebacks. He hasn't gotten a lot of um, opportunities. But I do believe that Purdy, I'm trying to erase the Mr. Irrelevant thing from my mind and and evaluate him honestly. I think having Trent Williams tell me that I, if I think he's not good, I ain't watching film is a good reminder that I don't want to disagree with Trent Williams. I love Trent Williams. Everybody. His press conference last week was unbelievable. Um, <laughs> so I do want to say, like, worth noting, the whole offense was bad. The Dolphins won the turnover battle 3-1. to one. They had a defensive touchdown. They still lost. Two of their TDs were off of turnovers that gave them a short field. They, had, they were only 2-for-5 in the red zone. In this, I want to expand out because – Larger question. The AFC is wide open. There are 11 teams above 500. The Bills are in 11th place right now in the AFC. We still think, we think of them as one of the best teams. We think of Ravens, Dolphins, Chiefs, Bills at the top of the heap there. How many teams in the AFC do you think could actually win the conference? Um, I would not include the Bills in that conversation. Hmm. Uh, Even though they just beat the Chiefs, who you right. include in the conversation. Yeah, I mean... It it comes down to the fact that the Bills will not have home field advantage or a first-round bye. Honestly, I think the what this makes me think about is how valuable the first-round bye is. Mm -hmm. And at one point in NFL history, much of NFL history, there were two teams that got a first-round bye. And then we wanted some more money, so we added, what's it been, three years now that we've had mm -hmm. seven teams in the playoffs, which eliminated one of the first-round buys. And I see that the reason why this matters in this case is because I think that the Bills are capable of beating any one of these teams. Yeah. Are they capable of doing it three times in a row? I would say no. Uh, and honestly, I'm not sure that any of them. <laughs> I what? can't pick any of these teams to win three yeah, games in a row. That's, that gets to the point <laughs> yeah. that I'm making. It's like the first, first round bye is so valuable because I don't think any of them. The team that I will pick to win the AFC uh, will be the team that has the first round bye. And before the season started, I think I picked the Eagles, and the Ravens to be my Super Bowl. And it seems like the Ravens are positioned mm -hmm. to get that first-round bye. There are teams on the NFC side that I think are good enough yeah. to go on the road and to win three games in a row. I think both the Cowboys and the 49ers, obviously the 49ers, are capable to, of doing that. There's nobody on the AFC side that I think is good enough for me to feel confident that if they don't get the first-round bye. And, of course, someone could – win from uh, who doesn't have to buy, but I wouldn't bank on it. And I guess you would argue that it's, I don't know, so many, I know we're going to talk about basketball later and, uh, and how the regular season's value has changed, but so many decisions in sports 
are about business. Yeah. And this decision was about, and so many of them, I don't mean to sound like, oh, uh, we have to play football the right way and money doesn't matter. I will play for free. No, I've benefited from the professionalization of football and the corporatization, frankly, of football. I've benefited from it. I don't hate it. But there's sometimes that we've gone a little too far. Yeah. And I don't like the seventh team in the playoffs. Counterpoint, it could be the Bills this year. And yeah. they're probably the fourth best team in the conference. Who was it? Who's it? Okay. It, Counter counterpoint. It could be the Giants in the NFC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't. Okay. For the podcast For, audience, yeah. I'm doing the Tom, Tommy DeVito. Italian fingers. Yeah. yeah I, I'm good on Tommy DeVito. That, Mr. Cutlets? No, no. I'm enjoying it okay. now. It's, it, this ain't but Pastronaut 2.0. I love that too. Exactly. I loved it too. But at some point. Tommy DeVito is not going to be somebody you would like. At some point, Tommy DeVito is going to compete in a 3-0 game, which he gets benched in. Like, it's going to happen. And I don't want Tommy DeVito in the playoffs. I, it's not going to be fun when Tommy has to go up against San Francisco. Or, or Dallas or the Eagles in the first my round. My God. We don't need that in life. <sighs> but, yeah, so... I don't the, know. And the Bills are the outlier because normally yeah, it's yeah. a team I was like gonna the ask you. The I was gonna. Yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna make you go through the the last three seasons and who was the seventh seed on each side. And I guess at some point, it's maybe the, the it's the Christmas shopping game. That's yeah. when you go with your significant other and figure out what you're buying everyone for Christmas. Um, and you're like, oh, that's that's on the schedule. I guess this game happens after Christmas, but this is this is the quality time time. Game. Yeah, I, I. It's not a Christmas shopping game for me. I like. I have a significant other, so I do not have to do any Christmas shopping for anyone except for her. Like that's one of the perks, getting married or also being um, a bad gift giver. So before we move on from the AFC really quickly, and we'll get to we'll get to Tommy Cutlets. Um, the Dolphins have like the worst strength of schedule, strength of victory. Um, in the AFC and the third worst in the entire NFL. Oh, college only, football talk! I like well, it's it. It's only better than the Saints and the Giants. Are you sure that they're actually good? No, I'm not. But I am sure that no one else is great. Mm-hmm. So I, I did a, a um, Foxy Five, one of the many um, weird, corny things that we do on Get Up, but people like it. So I have to do, I have to rank things. And so I did my top five teams and I put the Dolphins in it. And um, in commercial break, RG3 was like trying to argue me down from the Dolphins. I'm like, Relax, bro. I'm not that committed. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I could be swayed one way or the other. I, I think I, yeah, the problem is I could see a game where Bradley Chubb gets a couple sacks mm-hmm. and Jalen Ramsey gets a couple interceptions and Tyreek Hill goes off and they knock off. Frankly, they could do that to, to the Bills. They could do it to the, uh, the Chiefs. I could see them. It's harder for me to imagine them having a great game against the Ravens. Yeah. But, like, if they beat the Ravens in a couple weeks, I'm not going to be as surprised as I was last night when they lost to the Titans. So, it's just a – there is nobody pulling away in this group. And it's so hard to discuss when your job is to be able to tell people who's – I guess this is when people like us are supposed to be valuable. Oh, yeah. This is when we're <laughs> supposed to have an answer of is anyone good. Now we're just throwing yeah, our hands because, up being like, we don't know either. I know. Because, like, if, if there was a team running away with it like the Chiefs did a couple times, you all knew it. Or the Patriots did a couple times. But I think – the way that I pick my teams for the beginning of the season is I start with quarterback like everyone else, and I think of quarterback as like a bar. Mm-hmm. There's a bar that you have to be over sure. to win. And if you're over that bar, then the next question is how good is your offensive line? And then from there, I go look at the defensive line and the defense overall. And maybe this is a bad strategy, but offensive line ranks highly for me for definitely teams that are going to be competitive. That's my secret. Uh, I don't know if it's a secret because I think I said it at the beginning of the year when we talked about it, but I, I guess that should make me concerned about the Dolphins. So I think I've talked myself out of the Dolphins being a legitimate contender. Well, so I think that's a really smart way to look at it is like what units are good on each team right. and how valuable are those units? Because there's a stat and I don't have it in front of me, but basically as of a couple of years ago, I think as a couple of weeks ago, there were only four teams in the NFL that were starting the same five guys from the beginning of the season on their offensive line as they were at that point. And those four teams were all really, really, really good. So it's an indicator that their offense is in a good spot. Um, Okay. Last part of our football discussion. Okay. Has the Giants winning streak with our guy, Tommy DeVito, 
been good for the franchise. We don't get to claim. He was heroic again last night. We don't get to claim Tommy DeVito. We don't get to claim. He's not our guy. We're enjoying it, but we don't get to claim him. He's he's a New Jersey guy. He's not ours. I don't know. I think on a podcast a couple weeks ago, I asked you, how shocking is that Tommy DeVito's been better than Bryce Young? And we had a good laugh. <laughs> we were early. We were early on it. We're, yeah, we were not early because we got a good laugh. <laughs> it was a joke. Um, first of all, you saw his agent. It was unbelievable. That was a costume, right? No, no, no. There are, there, there are nope. dozens of them. Dozens of pictures of nope. him looking like that. I will like not that. accept that his agent actually dresses like a caricature of uh, Italian mob movie character. Like, that was a joke. He cannot do that with the hat and everything and the chain and they're kissing each other. Ah, the, the writer's strike impacted the NFL, too, because they were just like, hey, we can't write anything new. Let's just go ahead and steal something from 90s mob movies. Um, what was the question? Are the chances there any good? No, no. Is it good for the franchise? They've won three games uh, in a row okay. with Tommy oh, yeah. Vito. Right, three and we, one over this chance. This, this, this is what you wanted to talk about. Yeah, this is, you're right. We pivot to the conversation about uh, – tanking and draft picks. That's essentially what you're asking. Is Tommy DeVito and this team are winning enough games that they are pushing them out of... They're in the in-the-hunt graphic now. Yeah, and, and out of the Caleb Williams and Drake May mm-hmm. uh, sweepstakes. They're and not going to get... out of Marvin Harrison, out yeah. of Pashanu, all those top, top guys. Yeah, yeah. It's good for them. I will not step down from the idea that being good is always good for you. Building some culture, some identity, some finding out what players are good, uh, having something quality to build on, I think is good for you. Yes, there are certain players that are so good that you drop in an organization, they make everything better. There's been like two or three of them in the history or in the last 25 years of football. Assuming that you're going to find one, I think is a horrible way to run a, to run a team. Uh, but what I was thinking, what I wanted to get to around this was I really love that the Bears have a vested interest in the Panthers' first-round pick. I like the idea. So, like, so many fans are, like, rooting for their team to lose because they want to get a chop of the draft. Let's remove that incentive altogether. Yeah, the Bears I, are trying to make playoffs now. Yeah, and the Bears have no incentive. There's no one in the Bears building or the Bears fan base. or any, There's no logical reason to say, let's stink right now or let's hope our quarterback is trash. So I don't know how we create this dynamic going forward. However, I like the idea of Bears fans watching uh, Panthers games with a vested interest in everyone who is against the Panthers. And I like the idea of removing the incentive of wanting your team to suck. That seems terrible to ever be in a city where half the fans are like, oh, well, we really got to get that pick. But I understand the motivation. But can we remove that in some way? Like, we should have a draft where you can draft, right? You can draft who your opponent or who your draft, whose draft pick you're going to get. Just draft Washington's pick every single year and you'll be in prosper. I mean, I mean, for the record, the uh, team that caught your eye this offseason, Arizona, is trying to do that. They thought Houston was going to be really bad again, just like everyone else, and then obviously the program turned around. The program turned around incredibly quickly. Um, no, I mean, that's like that's how the dynasties in the 80s and the NBA were built. This is the Red Auerbach. This is the Jerry Buss Lakers, which is uh, feast on the idiots and take their first-round picks three, five years down the line and have them sort of self-sabotage to the point that you get something at the top, top of the draft. I, I, well, my question is, do you like it as a concept? Just the, the idea that you're not responsible, your performance has no impact on your draft status. I hate it. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, because I think that it's nice to have a uh, reward at the, end of the tun- at, at, at the end of the tunnel as a fan where you're not constantly hopeless and taking that away. Like if you suck, there might as well, you need to have some hope that you won't always suck. And in football, the quarterback position is so incredibly important and having that glimmer of hope. Like for me as a, as a Washington fan, that eight game run in 2012, we had Robert Griffin, um, guy, your, your rival, Robert Griffin. (laughs) Um, that was like the one time that we had hope and it was fun. And it was pretty much eight months from draft, from April to December, when we were like, this is awesome. You guys traded up. Yeah. All right. So that's not impacting that. You can still trade up. Yeah. I mean, I get your point, though. I, um, I hate it. I would rather 
So I guess you end up in a situation if you're a trash team that you're uh you don't always have to be trash. No, but I'm saying you could be in a situation where you're a bad team and you have the Chiefs first round pick. Well, look and at then the Panthers you're in a bad now. situation. Look at the Panthers now. Like they have their trash team with no first round pick because they give it to the Bears. Right. <laughs> and like it's, it's like, okay, I guess we have another decade of irrelevance. I, I mean the only the only way you're selling me on this in any way is because you said from the fans' perspective. Yeah. I that's do not like percent the way I'm viewing yeah, it. Yeah, it's a reward for being like I don't like anything where it's, it's like, hey, you're so bad. It's not let's it's reward a, you. It's it's I guess that's that's one way to look at it, but I look at it more as just like it's hope to not always be Yeah. No, I get it. For the fans it's hope that your organization won't blow it, but for uh for the organizations it is reward for being yeah. terrible. And that's right. I guess football, we don't really have the same tanking results as you can't we used to have in way. basketball. Yeah. But I, I like the idea of removing the incentive of tanking. But since we're talking about tanking, I feel like this is the perfect segue into some basketball talk. Welcome in our friend Logan Murdoch. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DF. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Special guest Logan Murdoch here from the Real Ones podcast with all the R&B paraphernalia on. What's happening, man? Welcome to the show. Appreciate you. I'm here, man, and I'm ready to simp and talk sports, so it's good. <laughs> yeah. Tony, Tony, Tony hat and an Usher shirt suggests that you know exactly what to say to the ladies. Fortunately, I'm married. I don't got to compete with young people like Logan Mur Murdoch. I looked at your Instagram, too, and you're obviously much cooler than me. I'm a little uncomfortable and jealous. out of here, Charlie. I'm cool. What do you mean, don't take much? Don't take much to be cooler than you. That's also true. <laughs> um, should, we, should we start by talking about a legendary simp? Zion Williamson. Um, <laughs> no. No. Um, I'm just going to power through. So, okay, okay. Th this week has been sort of Zion week. We thought it was going to be NBA in season tournament week, and that's still been a huge story. But Zion looked terrible in the semifinal against the Lakers and LeBron. He got out physicaled, 
was largely ineffective. There have been never-ending stories about his weight, his conditioning. Stephen A. Smith saying he eats the table. And chefs in New Orleans can't wait to meet Zion. So then he came out Monday night. He scored 36 points. And this is sort of what Zion does. He can show you that he can still do it when he needs to. Um, but I want to ask both of you guys, and, and Logan, how much more patience should the Pelicans have for Zion? I mean, he's in year five. How much patience do they need? Right. I, I don't know. I don't know how much more you could give. I mean, I know the 36-point game was a, a good look considering that he got embarrassed on a national TV screen and provided a lot of fodder for pundits like yourselves. But I, I think at this point he kind of is who he is. I mean, I don't know how much more times you can see him play defense and be out of shape and – all these things. Every time I seen the Pelicans, I actually saw the Pelicans last week in Sacramento right before they went to Vegas, and there were a lot of instances where this dude is clearly out of shape. He won't uh, – I think there was one instance where he went into the post and he, he acted like he was going to get the ball in the post, and they tried to swing it to him, and then at the last minute he was like, nah, I think I'm kind of I, I, I'm kind of tired. Swing that thing the other way. And there were multiple instances of him not – showing up on defense, and they ended up winning the game. But it was a constant thing that you see with Zion. Like, maybe he'll have that 36-point game every so often, and you think, wow, look at the potential there. And But most nights it's, damn, Zion needs to get his in shape or needs to um, do that. And you don't want that out of your franchise star. That's not something you want as your leader. And every time I see the Pelicans, it's more of like, Man, all these other guys are going to look great on other teams in like two or three years. They're going to be great contributors. Yeah, I, Herb I, Jones is going to be amazing in the corner. You know, Trey Murphy is going to going to be a super great athletic guy off the bench for a championship team one day. It's just not going to be the Pelicans. So I think I just talked myself into saying that I don't believe in Zion's future, yeah. but I, I guess there's nice uh, potential games out there. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, it's almost embarrassing, though. Like, it's almost worse that yep. he is out of shape and can still put up big numbers on occasion because it's a reminder of his ability and the ceiling of this team is the ceiling of this player. And so there's a couple things that come to mind for me was that is like you want to be sympathetic to whatever's going on for him. Because it feels like there has to be something else going on. I know Charlie doesn't want to be sympathetic. I, I'll speak for myself. I want to be sympathetic to whatever's going on for him. I understand. I don't own the team. I'm not a fan of the team. I would feel differently if, like, my livelihood, my franchise value, my championship hopes, my fandom was tied up in this player. How about if you were his teammate? Yeah, if I was his teammate, that'd be tough. I think for being his teammate and knowing that we have championship-level talent or at least contender-level talent if you just cared – or just showed up and cared, that would piss me off. That'd be a problem because every year, and basketball is much different than football, but you don't have that many opportunities. I think it's fair to say in every sport, there's only going to be a few championship opportunities and they're having theirs ruined by Zion. The other thought that comes to my mind is just generally a recurring theme of this show is the professionalization of sports. And we most of the time criticize how, and it's professionalization of youth sports, it's not the professionalization of the pro sports because that's already pro. But most of the time, I think we criticize how it impacts kids. Uh, like their bodies are more worn down by the time they get to the NBA. Uh, it gets less fun earlier on. It's a lot of pressure on the kids. But we never really celebrate it. And what I'm realizing or what I'm reminded of when I see Zion like this is how few players we've had come into the NBA like this. And part of that, in my view, is because of – the AAU system and like you pick out these guys at a young age and we're already treating them like pro athletes. We're prepping them for professional sports. We're teaching them how not to say when you get a microphone in front of your face. We're teaching them what it means to have an entire team franchise relying on you. And they're all following like the LeBron James model of like you get into here and this is serious business. This is important. And Zion is a reminder that he didn't go through that process. He was dunking on white boys in South Carolina, and then he did one year at Duke, and then they're like, hey, now be a grown-up. Now be responsible for this whole franchise, and he ain't ready for it. it they either, we either would have found out a long time ago that he ain't built for this psychologically, or he would have conformed. I think we found out and had a good idea that he wasn't built for it over the summer, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that was a combination of things that a lot of people around the league – had 
you know, kind of heard behind the scenes. Um, and it finally came to bear with the uh, situation that I don't know if, you know, these Disney Airways will, will, will we can talk about on these oh, Disney no. Airways. That's we how could. wild it was. But, um, but I, I just think that he's a guy that hasn't really faced professional adversity and ha- given the tools to be able to overcome professional adversity, right? You've talked about his AAU circuit. We all know during the AAU circuits right now, if you lose, it don't really matter. We're going to play two, three more games this afternoon. It don't really matter. Or if you don't um, succeed at a college level, it don't really matter. You're going to the NBA. That, 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 you know, builds up a habit and a mindset of, well, no matter what I do, it's straight because I made it to this point. And with Zion, you can't have that because you are a leader of a franchise. And the thing that you keep hearing around the league is that Zion, he does have the right people. He does have at least immediate people around him. David Griffin has put um, old security staff that worked with LeBron back in the day around him 24-7 who are trying to give him advice. But he doesn't listen. That's the, mm-hmm. the constant thing that you continue to hear about um, you know Zion's development is that he does get good advice at times from good people. He just decides not to listen. And that is a recurring thing. And he can have all the press conferences he wants after 36-point games and being mad, but it takes a consistent, consistent effort. I mean, you, Dominique, you played in the league uh, about a decade. You know that in order to do that, you have to have a consistent mindset day in and day out. It can't just be like when Charles Barkley and Shaq calls you out on a national stage <laughs> yeah. or when you get embarrassed on a national stage, you're going to play one game that no one really – I mean, no one really saw that game. We saw the press conference more than we saw yeah. the game. You have to – there's moments when you're a star that you have to show up. That's what makes you a star. And there have been continual times where he hasn't shown up in the moments that matter most. And another thing that concerns me is he hasn't had – there's one thing to get through a regular season, but he hasn't had the postseason mm-hmm. – um, not the, the postseason uh, – whatever you want to call it, that the Durant, that Durant yeah, had, like that Jordan leap. had, the, the the leap or the first disappointment, right? Oh, I yeah. think about when Durant played against Ron Artest and just got his <laughs> whooped and just got muscled the whole series, and then he went in the gym all season and got stronger, all summer and got stronger. We haven't seen that from Zion because whether it's the injury or it's the out-of-shapeness or just not even being committed to the craft, he's five years in. Mm-hmm. It's like, yo, what are we doing? Let's 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 get to it so we can get to the playoffs and you can show that you are this generational talent that everybody thinks you did thinks you are. Meanwhile, Luca's been balling, right? You mm-hmm. see all this other cast of of players that are rising, like the Shea Gilgis Alexanders. Huh. You see the That's Anthony awesome. Edwards, right? You see these guys that are taking it seriously. And then Zion's kind of falling by the wayside. And it just seems like he wants to get mad at us because that make no mistake that press conference looked yeah. like he was pissed off at the people that were talking right. about his bad play. It's not on us; it's on him to show up, and he hasn't done that consistently throughout his career. Well, speaking of Shea Gilgis Alexander, Anthony Edwards, someone players who actually have added to their game and improved over the course of their careers. That's one of the jarring things to me about Zion. It's obviously he's not in condition, but we've seen. Even guys like Luca, guys like Embiid, succeed at a really high level, not being in perfect shape, but they added a ton of skill to their game to be able to succeed offensively. Obviously, you can attribute his lack of uh, help defense, his motor, to conditioning. But this guy is the concerning part is he seems like a slightly worse version of who he was when he was 19 years old at Duke. And that is like. If you want to point to work ethic, to me, that's even more than the way to fact that, like, I don't want Zion 20, 20 feet away from the basket taking right. three-point shots, but he should have the ability to make a jump shot outside of the paint, and that hasn't developed whatsoever. I think so. Um, Logan mentioned that I played, and I, like, I try to draw my playing knowledge when I talk about these things, but I've never been – the face of a franchise for an NBA team. That's a different level of, like, responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's a different level of pressure. Like, being a, a pretty good corner on uh, some competitive teams is not the same as being the quarterback. And, like, Zion is essentially the quarterback of the team. But the biggest question mark for me – or not question mark. I, I want to be careful about trying to psychoanalyze guys that, I, that you don't know. But I can talk about the behavior that I've seen. And the behavior is – 
what you were talking about, it brought up in my mind about like Kevin Durant responding to a failure and responding to disappointment and responding to criticism. While we haven't seen Zion get to those levels yet, we have seen how he responds to those things. And it ain't a good response. <laughs> like these criticisms have been persistent. They're not new criticisms. And every year he comes back with the same stuff. And so, again, I want to be sensitive to the players. It's generally how I try to present myself because I would want somebody to be that way to me when I was a player. However, you can also point out that some people ain't built for it. Like some people ain't built to be no matter how big and strong and fast you are like Zion. If you are not built to be this uh, this face of a franchise, you should have learned how to rush the passer. We'd have been real happy. You could eat as much as you as you want. If you could bend, the, if you could bend the corner and get a strip sack, you could be wild as you want. You don't got to be in no type of condition. We not going to pile on you because you're not leading the team. But. You went on this route of being a basketball player and you accepted these contracts and you are in position to have, I'm not saying he shouldn't have done any of those things, but it, I, I wanted to come out of here with something like optimistic about what was going to happen with Zion. But it's, it's frankly, it's impossible given what he's presented to us. No, it's just, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to see. Right. Yeah. And even just like you think about, I talk to Roger about this all the time. Um, just the first two picks of that draft. Like, who do you pick, right, where you have Zion or you have Ja Morant, right? And I know Ja Morant's had a bit more playoff success, right. but we all know the off-court things that have happened with him. And it's just – it's that's one piece of it. The other piece, and Charlie brought this up, was just not adding to his game. Right. And I saw that in Vegas where LeBron, when he took the charges on Zion, literally knew every single time mm-hmm. – uh, or every single place that Zion was going to be on the floor. There wasn't a Euro step or a spin move to be had for Zion, not any counter move. And he's five years in. It was just, it was really, really tough to see. Right. And that's the thing that I'm talking about with him is when you don't, uh, when you're not consistent in your life in terms of, you know, conditioning and, and trying to be serious about your craft, you're, that's going to trickle to every single other part, including the basketball court. And I don't mean to psychoanalyze, but yeah. here I am doing it. Yeah. But that's where we are right now, and that thing doesn't change. That is, it is a a, a, a cyclical thing, and it's it's an interesting thing because this is where the lack of desire meets commerce, where the Pelicans need to they need him to succeed because they have they, throughout. Despite all the signs, they have gotten in bed with him with the contract, with the uh, long-term security, and they're banking on him figuring it out. And I, I, and I don't know this because I'm not in the locker room every day with that, but I do know locker rooms and the fact that if you're Zion and you continue to, oh, man, I'm going to show up this game and we have – you know, I'm going to show up this game, but I'm not going to show up this game where I, and you, the rest of the people in the locker room see that. And they're working hard. Herman Jones is working hard. B.I. is playing phenomenal mm-hmm. when you see him play. That builds resentment, and yeah. that erodes chemistry. So at some point, either he's going to have to figure it out or the Pelicans are going to have to make a move, which is hard to do considering the fact that everybody knows the book on Zion at this point. You're not tricking any team mm-hmm. into trading for him at this particular point. It's a tough time in New Orleans, right? Yeah. Even if even and we're, it's funny because we're speaking on this after a win yeah. <laughs> last night against the the Timberwolves. But this is a thing that they need the Pelicans need to figure out. Either Zion's gonna just just have a metamorphosis, or this franchise seems to be doomed at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think we can move on, but I mean, it's crazy. This is someone who might not even return the type of package that we would have thought a couple years ago if there was a Zion Williamson trade because. What are you gonna get? Yeah, you have to convince somebody that at 23 years old that uh, <laughs> he he just needs to change the scenery. He'll get yeah. right over there, which I think is a hard sell to make. But all right, what's next? Pat, Pat Riley, make the move. That's that's the guy to do it. Um, all right, Tim Bontemps wrote on Monday about the in-season tournament. Logan also wrote about the in-season yep. tournament on TheRinger.com. Great website, great article um, this past week. And one of the things that was mentioned is the incentive structure for the tournament and how to. Increase those incentives for the winners, whether it's a guaranteed play-in berth, more money, a draft pick. 
But with a little bit of space after the tournament, how do you think the first in-season tournament went, and how do you think it should change going forward? I think it went really well. You know, it was it was a fun environment. I think the uh, 2 o'clock start was not great on the Thursday. I was at that game, and while they had the – there wasn't a buzz at all for, honestly, any non-Laker game, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was – and that's the thing that the NBA is going to have to figure out. The 2 o'clock start is one thing um, when you have uh, a lack of fans in the upper bowl. But the second thing is how is the NBA going to be able to market this thing if the uh, Lakers aren't in it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a quick turnaround in Vegas. Um, a lot of these fans can't – make that turnaround say like there was there was a handful of Pacers fans there but it was mostly just overrun by Laker fans because of the proximity to Los Angeles uh, to Vegas and just the sheer you know might of wanting to watch LeBron on a big stage now they need to figure out how they were going to market that and we'll see how that goes they have a lot of marketable players but they need to figure out how to create a buzz when you don't have the league's biggest star in there and that's that's a near impossible thing to do but Vegas and the NBA are married to each other uh, for the foreseeable future. There's going to be an expansion team there. Uh, there's going to be buzz there. But th- for the in-season tournament, they got to figure out how to uh, market, right. use it to market their newest stars and figure out a way to get fans in the building when their biggest, biggest uh, legacy stars aren't in the games. I want it to work because being engaged. You're trying to go to Vegas. <laughs> I'm always looking for it. We got a Super Bowl there this year. Can't wait. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's they should have put it after the Super Bowl when we was looking for stuff to watch. Uh, but putting it right now, like, I, I'm still – like, I, I watch the games, but I'm still knee-deep in, in football stuff. And then the end-season tournament came and went. And now I'm locked in on who's going to make the playoffs, which one of these bad seven seeds is going to get into the NFL playoffs. But that's another conversation. I think the – the thing about NC Turner, I want it to work because I know that the times when I am engaged in basketball for an entire season are few and far between, honestly. It's like when I was a kid and Jordan was playing in the 90s. I had nothing better to do and Jordan was amazing. LeBron's first year and then LeBron's first year in Miami. Then the Warriors, 73-9 and nine year, and then the Warriors year with KD. Like I need those big stories to get involved, to get me locked into an 82-game schedule. And I think most fans are probably like that who aren't like super NBA fans, especially guys or people who aren't fans of particular teams. You may watch your team all the time. But to me, this feels like, and I hope it works, and I hope it keeps going, but you made the point that, right, the Lakers are in it, LeBron's in it. That's not a true measurement of how people are going to engage in the tournament when the major stars aren't in it. But to me, it feels like they're trying to solve their greed problem and it's without actually solving the problem like the problem is y'all got too many games you got 82 games because you want the money that's the problem you're trying to find a way to solve that problem without giving any money back and i'm not sure that you can (laughs) and to your point going forward if lebron's not in it if uh the lakers aren't in it i hope that we care but i'm not sure that we do care people cared about halliburton yeah I think people cared about Halliburton. That was a legitimate story. Yeah. And I think that's another thing. Like, the, the Halliburton the, the, uh, part of the argument is, is is a good argument because one of the things that, I, you know, I was I was all in after, like, the first turn, few tournament games just for the simple fact that the NBA players played really, really hard. Mm-hmm. But another thing that really kind of sold me as we got to Vegas is this is a great opportunity early in the season to do something that the league just isn't good at at this point for whatever reason, which is – marketing teams young teams yeah. and marketing teams that are not necessarily in big markets and they did that with this Pacers team right now whether I don't know what the Pacers are going to be this season but I it was a coming of age moment for this organization um, with this young team and it teaches them how to win in big moments going down the stretch it, it's a it's really helps young teams grow at a faster pace because they're in games that matter and I think that's a good true measurement the second thing that I think um, that is good about this season tournament. It's bigger than, um, you know, trying to find uh, a, a legacy star to carry it. This is just the beginning of the relationship on a real level between Vegas and the NBA, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, the, 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 there's an arms race right now for 
owner to owner owning that expansion team. Um, everybody's putting their bid into it. And I think there's just a bit of a feeling out process of what that will look like, right? What a Vegas crowd would look like, what, uh, how players respond to playing in Vegas. Right. And I think that's the most important thing out of all of this. Right. right. I mean, this, Adam Silver has experimented with a lot of things, but as we and I wrote about this at the Ringer, as we get closer to the new TV deal, and as we get closer to expansion, the the league is trying to figure out what is that going to look like in a multitude of different ways. What are what is the NBA going to look like in the streaming area? Era. What are they going to look like when they get to Vegas? So I think it was a bigger thing than yeah. just trying to figure out um, if we can market, uh, you know, a, a legacy name here, an up and coming name here. It's more about a relationship between a league and a city and how that future looks going forward. So do you think I mean, we had the quote from uh, D'Angelo Russell saying that his five hundred thousand dollars will pay for two summer vacations for him, um, which is hilarious. But do you think that they'll change the incentive structure so it feels more like more than just regular season wins and losses? Do you like the idea of a play in birth? Do you like the idea of more money for the players? How do you think you can get it to have an even like bigger environment? See, the play in birth is kind of weird to me mm-hmm. because you because since it's so early now, yeah. if this was in March, right, as as teams are going towards a playoff push, I, you could talk me into a play in berth, and that probably makes more sense. But I think the biggest thing that I kept seeing just being in Vegas is um, just figuring out like what the real what the real expectations for teams that win this versus yeah. it's just December, right? right? Like I don't know what the Lakers are going to be in uh, when the play in happens. Say. Say the Lakers win, which they did, and they get a play-in berth, an automatic play-in berth, and AD and LeBron get injured, and this team is a lottery team. Then what does it make sense to put them in a play-in berth for, right? So I think that we'll figure they got to tweak that if they do the play-in berth, they got to put it in put the uh, tournament in March. In terms of more money and more structure. I think that would work out. I think if you put a, a an incentive structure, maybe more money for the coaches, maybe more money for that, but. It doesn't matter. Money is money. Five hundred racks is five hundred racks. Yeah. I, the, yeah. the, the, the 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 players had no problem playing hard. Um, I, I I think though, but I do like the playing. I do like the playing version of it. But yeah. they would have to move the tournament. Well, I mean, I, I, that's I, even I, more reason to yeah. move the tournament. I I, the I would love them to move the tournament anyway, just so they can get more attention on it. And we're not paying attention to football at that time. I, I don't like the playing birth though as a way to motivate. Uh, the players, I, I don't know. I think that makes it more immediate, which which works. But I also think that to some degree, and correct me if I'm wrong, Logan, it feels like you're devaluing the in-season tournament by doing that because the big challenge that we're having, I think, for older fans is trying to break people of the habit, or the ha- not the habit, break people of the perception that only one thing matters, and it's the NBA championship. We want people to believe in the European model that these other, and to be fair, the European model, like these other championships are not connected to the core league, so they are something different. But we want them to believe that this in-season tournament is something different that is not as valuable as the NBA Finals, but has its own value. I think by saying, well, if you do well here, then you get into the real thing that matters. You end up also like saying like, hey, again, remind you, this don't really matter this is not what you're here for but we're hanging a banner <laughs> i'm not mad at them hang a banner I, I, as a as a cornerback i believe that anytime you get to celebrate you should definitely take that chance to celebrate i don't care if it's a bad throw i'm giving you the strapped up symbol every time incomplete is incomplete baby <laughs> yeah by, by the way just to just to add to your point because i think you're right a play in birth also incentivizes teams to not play hard yeah. for larger portions of the regular season. I thought, like, yeah, Anthony Davis and LeBron could get hurt. but also create the problem that you were trying to yeah. get away with. If Anthony Davis and he LeBron might play James, 25 more games. Yeah, if they have, like, a small nagging injury then and they already got their playing berth, then what are we playing for? Let's get healthy. By the way, this is a perfect – I mean, at the time the, the time of year 
and the tournament at this time of year is perfect for LeBron. He only got to try like seven games out of the year and to get a to get a trophy, and he did that. And it was it was great to see. I was so I was seeing him taking charges. He was playing great defense. He was it was it was I a mean, great display from LeBron in December. Yeah, because LeBron is trying to build up that Las Vegas fan base for the team that he's going to inevitably own in Vegas. He got to got to put on a show for his future fans. He was thirsty, wasn't he? He was thirsty for that thing. He was he was. He was, he was like, I was like, damn, bro, we get it, dog. He leaked to Woj. He was like, yo. Yo, man, like, yo, yo, sh- tell him that I'm interested. Tell him that I'm interested. Let's go. <laughs> then 30 minutes after that report comes out, we asking him about the tournament, he, uh, about the Vegas. He's like, yeah, I want to own a team. Yep, this is where I want to go. <laughs> and then the first question after he wins the cup is, what do you think about Vegas? A quick lob to him talking once again about how he wants to own a team in Vegas. It was it was very thirsty. It was like, we get it, bro. We, we know. We're, we coming, know. we're coming to the end of the episode, so I will not throw another topic on the table that will take us far afield. But that is a huge challenge for uh, whoever runs the players' union going forward, whether it's Iguodala or somebody else. That relationship between the players and the superstar players and the superstar players in the league is an unusual dynamic that you normally never have in labor relationships where there are players that are so big that their interests in many ways are more aligned with teams in the league than they are with the rank and file. Like, it's just, to me, it's mind-blowing challenge uh, for anybody who wants to run a union or participate in union activities where what's good for the league is also good for LeBron, but not necessarily great for everybody else. Well, let's be real. Like, specifically with the NBA Players Association, historically it's always been run by stars, right? right. Like, you talk about Patrick Ewan back in the day and Chris Paul uh, making, you know, legislation in the, in the collective bargaining <laughs> yep. agreement to help himself out, right. right? Like, the reason why these guys at the end of their career are making $40, $50 million is because uh, a star made the CBA in a lot of ways. So that's a, th- that's a long-standing problem that the NBA PA has had, but the NBPA yeah. has had, is having stars the slight, be at the forefront of it. Yeah, it's a problem that they've always had. But the slight difference, I would say, is the stars' interests were still not as – um, perfectly aligned with the league, they were aligned. A lot of it has so. to do with the money, though, right? Yeah, because right. they haven't been making as they. Patrick Ewing and even Michael Jordan wasn't making money that LeBron nope. is making on a year, right? Like Jordan only made thirty mil his last two years as a career. Right now, he he did have enough capital because of off the court stuff to eventually own a team. But it's going to be much more common now, especially with this influx of cash and this TV money and and all the things that have happened over this last decade uh, for former players if they if they take care of their bread right. to be able to own teams in the future. And I, that's going to be interesting. Like LeBron owning a team and trying to settle scores through his Vegas team is going to be fascinating. Can't wait to see it. And then they have the the um, clause in the current CBA that allows players to. Um, yeah, through a third party, but have some ownership uh, of the team. Like, this is a whole nother big conversation for the next time that Logan Mur- Murdoch is on the podcast for the sports business version of this conversation that I would find very interesting. But, uh, Charlie, do you have anything else you wanted to hit? That's all. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, again, Logan Murdoch, uh, Real Ones Podcast. Him and Rajah Bell do as good a job as anybody talking about basketball because they are real ones. And thank you, Logan, for joining us. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you to all the great producers. Thank you, Metalark, for letting us use this studio. Megan, Brian, Kevin, Serafina, and Cortez, we out. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.